0: For this band, shall we? Thanks, team. Always awesome worshiping with you. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 1. Once again, hopefully you're bringing your Bibles to chapel. If not, make sure you grab them. You're going to be going through them. In fact, tonight we're going to be talking about the importance of reading our Bible and why we could trust our Bible and what that looks like. So make sure if you're... uh, wanting to take some notes too, maybe grab a pen, grab your booklet that Hume gave you, grab those. So John chapter 1, we saw an awesome drama this morning, and Harry, the camp director who was just up here, talking about how he hates mint chip. You're, you're, you're nuts, Harry. Mint chip is the best, man. They're the best. love it. Cookies and cream obviously is the best of the best, but, and can I be so bold? May I be so bold? I've been here for 14 years at Hume Lake, and I came up with an awesome shake called the Slinger Special. It was cookies and cream and strawberry. It was delightful. I'm just saying. I know. I'm just saying. There's a lot of good combinations Make sure you buy your youth pastor an ice cream, all right? Buy that for him. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be at, and it says this, verse 19. Wait, I forgot to even say. Harry was up here talking. Sorry, I got distracted, Harry, with your old mint chip thing. But Harry was talking, did a really good job of wrapping up this awesome drama that we saw about this guy, John the Baptist, right? This shaggy dog. I thought it was great, uh, portraying again what we're about to read. So, uh, keep that in mind as we're hearing this kind of played out. What we just saw, it says this, chapter 1 of John, verse 19. This is the testimony of John. Now, wait a minute. John is the same book that we're reading. Is it the same author? And the answer is no. All right? So the same, this John is a different John than the author. John, we've got Buddy up here. Uh, he is John, He's John, the guy who wrote the Bible. He's one of Jesus' disciples. This other John is John, (laughs) buddy with the fleas, I think is what they call him, right? That's that uh, one that came, dressed all, he was a shaggy dog here. So this is the testimony of John the, the Baptist. It says this, when the Jews sent priests and Levites, these religious leaders from Jerusalem to come to John the Baptist and ask, who are you? In verse 20, John confesses. I am not the Christ, which is a really weird answer, right? If you come to me, hey, who are you, Rich? I'm going to not answer, well, I'm not the Christ, right? Because you're not asking if I'm the Christ. But they are. Why? It's interesting. We'll get there. They asked him, these religious leaders, well, what then? Are you Elijah? Again, that's an interesting one, a prophet. He says, no, I am not. Are you a prophet then? Just any prophet. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Why do you say to yourself, what what do you say about yourself? So these religious leaders, again, hold on, just look up and then we'll get back to that. These religious leaders have come from Jerusalem, sent by other religious leaders to find out who this shaggy dog is in the drama, but obviously this man, John, who's out in the desert baptizing people. He is just a very simple guy. He doesn't, uh, he, he, he doesn't need a lot. He's just a simple guy who's all about God and his kingdom. And he's baptizing people and having them repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These religious leaders want nothing to do with this guy. So they're like, hey, who are you? Are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you a prophet? He says no. And they say, well, who are you? And he says, and Harry made this point today. I am the voice of the one crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This is Isaiah 40, verse 3. There's a prophet, Isaiah, who wrote about this hundreds of years ago. And and, and John Baptist is saying, I'm that guy. Why? Because that person who says, I am a voice in the wilderness, I'm saying, make way because the Messiah is coming. That's a big deal. This is a Messiah, someone they've anticipated. We'll get there. Verse 24, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah or a prophet? And John answered them, I baptized with water. But, verse 26, among you stands one that you do not know. Even who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. John is saying, I am not the one you're looking for. However the one you're looking for, the Messiah, is here. You haven't seen him. I'm not even worthy to wash his sandals, let alone be with him. I can't wait to see him. But you're missing him. He's around here. And get ready. This anticipation for John and everybody, they've been waiting for the Messiah to come. And then in verse 29 is pretty awesome. The next day, He sees Jesus coming toward him. And John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world... This is the one whom I said, after me comes a man who's ranked before me because he was before me. John says, there is this one. I'm not even worthy to to wash his sandals. That's the one you're looking for. He's around and he's coming. And the next day Jesus comes and, and John the Baptist says this, that's the guy. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. As we think about what that looks like of them anticipating the the Messiah, the one to come, because your word said it would happen. Maybe understand that the Bible is true, that it comes from your words to us, and we could trust it as truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So these words, the Christ, the Messiah, you see... There's a lot of prophecy in the Bible, and again, Harry mentioned that this morning. Prophecy is saying something's going to happen years and years before it's going to happen. There are a lot of prophecies we're going to get there in the Bible. But this one specifically about this promised of the Messiah, or it's called the Christ, the anointed one. One, they didn't exactly know what exactly this Messiah was going to do. They just believed that they were going to be saved from Rome. You see, Jerusalem or uh, uh, um, the Jewish people were under the authority of Rome. Do you all know Rome at that time, right? A very big superpower, right? That, that they, they would go in and conquer a land and let the, land, the, the people dwell there, but they would still have to pay tribute and money to Rome, and they didn't like Rome at all. These Jewish people were like, I want, we want our own nation back. We don't want to be under the law of anyone except God. They were one time, and then they blew it, and we'll talk about that at some point. They blew it and then they got under the authority of Babylon, under the authority of Persia, under the authority of Rome. And they were waiting for the one, the anointed one, the Messiah to come and get rid of Rome and establish them as the conquering people. That's what they're looking for. So they come, these religious leaders come to John and say, are you the Christ? He says, no, but that one is here. Now, why would they think about the one? Why do they talk about it? Because they know the scriptures. They have grown up memorizing it and knowing it. They've practiced it. They've memorized it since they were little kids. That was their schooling. They would memorize the first few books of the Bible, memorize it, not just know it, memorize it. They would know the laws. They would know all these different things. And they were all waiting and anticipating for the Messiah to come. That's what they were doing. So as they say, hey, are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not. Are you Elijah, a prophet, one who tells prophecy and one who reminds us of God's you know, laws? No, I'm not. I'm not them either. You see, they're, they're waiting for the Messiah because they believe scripture is true. Isaiah 9 says this, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. That's in Isaiah uh, chapter 9. And this is one that these religious leaders would preach about to say the Messiah is coming. They're looking back on Scripture with the anticipation that it will come true. And Scripture points to a Messiah. They knew scripture was from God. You see, God would use people. In fact, throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, it would say, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, that God would speak through people and they would jot it down and write it down and it would be passed down. And, and, and it still was happening Then in the New Testament as well, that, that it's God breathed, that God inspires these things that people would write. It. And we'll talk about the unity of scripture in a second, but we can't miss the fact that They knew God's word, that that the, the scriptures were from God, and they trusted God. We have a right view of God. We talked about that last night. And if God is who he says he is, then the things that he says is true, and they believed it to be true. And they anticipated that it would happen. They looked forward to it happening. Anticipation's a fun thing. I like it. I like Christmas morning, Christmas Eve, you know, getting excited. Can't really sleep. I like it. Even getting ready to come to Hume Lake, right? I get excited to come here. There's another thing. It's interesting about movies. Any movie, any, any fans of movies out there? Anybody like movies? I like movies. I don't really like to watch trailers because I just like, if there's a movie I want to see, I, I get excited to go and see it. I don't need to see the trailer, but I will hear lots of talking from my friends. Hey, this is what this movie. I'm like, ah, don't tell me, don't tell me, because I know enough about certain things. Uh, you know, I'll read up on it just a little bit to not spoil it, because I don't like spoilers. Right? I want to know. But they're in anticipation, and when I go to a movie theater, which doesn't happen very often anymore. Man, and the lights go down, and I know the storyline to a point of what I'm about to see, especially if it's a sequel, right? If it's something that I've seen the first part, and now the next one's coming out, and I cannot wait, right? It's the lights go down, and I'm sitting there with my bride, my girl, my wife, and we're, we're waiting, and I got some popcorn, and I'm getting excited, and she knows she has to sit a couple seats over because, man, I like to get excited and, like, you know, cheek, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be awesome, right, as the lights go down, and I hear this sound. Cue music. Oh, oh, I know. I know it's going to be a good one, right? I know there's something coming, because there's, there's a lot of history, in that, in that series, that's Marvel, in case you didn't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of history that I really love, and I, I know a lot of that stuff. So I, know, I don't know all that's coming, but I know it's going to be good. And I, I hear ideas of what it's going to be, and I hear that song, and I, or that, 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 that beginning part, and I'm like, oh, that anticipation, I can't wait. Or I'm sitting there waiting for something that I've waited for for a very long time, And it happens every so often, a new one comes out and it's maybe this for some of you, right? That anticipation. Now I saw this in the theater and this was one of those, especially number seven that came out right a while ago that it started the whole series again. And me and my nerdy friends, we were so excited about it because we can't believe another story's coming out. We start reading up and talking about it. And this anticipation is coming of all of this that we heard and read. And then we saw the movie and it was awesome. Or some of you, I haven't seen this movie. I don't think I will go see it, but my kids are really excited about this one. Oh, silly 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 oh my wow. wow 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 that 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 is called mint chip ice cream right there right is that what that's called so listen is we is we think about what some of those songs do to us, right? And some I didn't hit some of your genres, maybe, but it could be a good book that's coming out, whatever it might be. I think that we would all be able to relate to anticipation, friends. You've got to go with me in this story here that is happening where. All of these people are coming to John the Baptist and saying, are you this person? Are you this person? As they've looked back to scripture and they know that God, that's from God, that it's true and it will happen. And, and, and John the Baptist is like, I'm not the guy, but the one is here. And then all of a sudden the next day, hundreds of years they've been waiting for the one, the Messiah to come. And then the next day, Jesus, who in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word, And then the word puts on flesh and dwells among us. And then the next day, Jesus, did I say something weird? He put on flesh. So God, fully God, fully human. And that might be weird to some of us. We're going to get there because that's the most amazing thing about it. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word dwelt among us. He walked with his creation. What's happening? I'm, I'm lost. Did I say something weird? Hey, 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 relax. Hey, get it, rein it in. Listen, if that blows, if that blows your mind, you're going to really be blown away what God does with it. So listen, I'm excited that you're excited. Maybe you're anticipating and that is exciting. John has been anticipating along with every other religious person the Messiah to walk down, and the next day he sees Jesus walking, and he says, I cannot believe it. This is the one I've been waiting for. That anticipation was here. Why? Because these people relied on the Bible. They looked at Scripture, and they knew it was from the Lord. It was truth from the Lord, and they know if God says it, it will happen. They relied on it, and friends, as we look at the reliability of the Bible, we can still trust it today. And so here's what I want to do just quickly. There's some of you out here that I think maybe you want to go a little bit more heady. You need a little bit more academic knowledge of why to trust the Bible. So I want to walk that through just really quickly. So if that's you, maybe sit up in your chair a little bit because we're going to talk about the reliability of the Bible. And and maybe if it's not you, write it down because maybe at some point you might think because you've got friends that are going to be asking you, well, how do we know that this is real? How do we know? It's called the reliability of the Bible. And there's a lot of different things that talk about why this is true. And as we talk about the truth of God this week, this is how we know about who God is. It's been revealed to us through scripture that has withstood the test of time. And there's a lot of different things that you could do to look at the reliability of Scripture. I'm going to look at three quickly tonight. The first one is unity. Unity of the Bible just shows the reliability that we can trust it reliable, that it's trustworthy. The unity of the Bible. Listen, it's unlike any other book, period. Period. There's no other book like it. Why? Because it's not just one book. This is 66 different books, 1,000 or a 1,500 year span apart to write it, 40 different authors, three different continents, and three different languages, all talking about God's redeeming love for his people. To put that in perspective, just the authors alone 40 different authors writing 66 books that are all unified. That they take these 66 books and they put it together, you know, in one thing. But these are 66 different books, all saying the same exact story from 40 different authors on three different continents. Your favorite book that you would read, maybe it has two authors. Chances are it has one. Let's say it had three. That's fine. These, this has 40. Now here's the thing. Your favorite book that maybe has two, maybe three authors, they didn't, they didn't write the book and then talk about it. They would get together in a room for a very long time. All right. Where do we want the intro to go? Good. What about the middle of the story? Good. What about the ending? Where do we want to go? Good. Now let's start to write. But that's not how this works. This book was being written over 1500 years by 40 different people, three different languages, three different continents, 66 books. That, that in itself, again, makes it unlike any other book. And in, in these books never go against each other ever. They're all saying the same story, God is with us. That's the point of the story. How is this possible? It's only possible if there's one author, God, inspiring all of it, and that's what we read in 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. The unity of the Bible, friends, makes this Bible alone stand out like unlike any other book out there, period. But what about prophecy? We've been talking about that. Why is that important? Prophecy shows that this is from the Lord, that he knows what's happening, again, that we can trust him. It says this in Isaiah 46, I am God, there is no other like me. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. There's over 1,800 prophecies in the Bible. And a a lot of this actually takes place before Jesus even gets on the scene. There's so much history in the Old Testament that we're not even touching this week. The story of God's chosen people, Israel. And if you choose to listen to God, you'll be blessed. If not, this, this small little nothing nation that people don't even know about called Babylon is going to take over you. And they're like, no, 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 Assyria, this crazy menacing power, they're going to take, take, take us out. And God says, no, 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 Babylon. And they're like, it's Assyria. And Assyria goes away and Babylon rises up to power and takes them over. And that's just one of um, uh, 1800 different prophecies that God says, I know the story. I know how it ends. I know how it began. Trust me. The prophecy alone that it would would happen when we start to talk about the Messiah, the one that is to come. All of these prophecies are written hundreds of years before Jesus even comes onto the scene. Now here's where it gets a little heady and and really exciting, all right? The the, The mathematical probability of one person fulfilling eight prophecies. Everybody with me right now? The, the, the probability of one person, a hundred, hundreds of years later, fulfilling these just eight prophecies. You ready? This number is going to kind of mess with your mind a little bit. 10 to the 17th power. What does that mean? It means this. It's a, it's a, it's, listen, it is a lot of zeros. The probability, don't lose, I don't want to lose you. Because this is is why we're saying that this is true. Because the probability of one person fulfilling eight prophecies is 10 with 17 zeros past it. Let's put in another, another example. State of Texas. Big, right? We know the state of Texas. Here's the probability. I take a little coin. I mark an X on that half dollar coin, and I put it somewhere in Texas, and then I take a lot of other coins, and I dump it in the state of Texas to where it fills up all the state of Texas two feet deep with coins, and I mix it all up, and I take a a person, and I blindfold them, and I say, okay, now start walking. And when you're ready, stop, take off your blindfold, reach down and grab one coin. That's the probability of one person fulfilling eight prophecies in the Bible, okay? Now, to keep it in perspective, Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies. That should blow your mind. That number is insane and you can't even comprehend it. Why, how is it possible? The only way possible is that God wrote it, he knows how it starts, and he knows how it ends. The unity of the Bible shows that we can trust it. The prophecy of the Bible shows that we can trust it. The archeology, span there's a lot of religious books out there, but a lot of them talk about things that just didn't happen and there's no evidence for it. I've been blessed to go to Israel And walk the land that this book talks about over seven times, and I every time I go, I'm blown away with the different things that they're learning and they're discovering. In fact, I wanna just show you three really quick here. Um, This first one was discovered in Northern Israel. And again, I told you it's a little heady stuff, but I need you to understand the reliability that we can trust this thing based on unity, based on prophecy, based on archeology. span You can go to Israel and see these things. This little rock was discovered in a place called Dan, Northern Israel. This actually has the inscription of the house of David. Why is that important? Because throughout the Bible, we're talking about this guy named King David, the house of David. And the fact that they found this rock with the description house of David in Israel is a game changer, not just to us, but to Israel in general. They found this, uh, this place where they actually, they were digging. They found this, these, this uh, little place where they keep the bones of, of people. And, they, and actually, if you zoom in... Um, you could zoom in and it actually says the high priest Caiaphas. Why is that a big deal? The high priest Caiaphas, and we're going to hear his name a couple in, in a few days, the high priest Caiaphas is the guy who actually was, had a major hand in going to, to, to kill Jesus and taking him to the cross. The fact that his name is in a, in a, in a spot here in Israel, they, they find this thing with his name on it, that's a big deal. I've been to Israel, like I said, many times. And one time we were there, and they discovered this new um, this new pool. And before we... Well, here it is right here. So this is called the Pool of Siloam. For a long time, they thought the Pool of Siloam was somewhere else. They thought it was closer to the temple. And again, I know that might not make a lot of sense to you, but as they started reading Scripture... It didn't align with there's Bible stories of a guy, a blind man, being healed with mud on his face. And he had to walk from the temple all the way down to the bottom of the city of David to the pool of Siloam. But the pool of Siloam that they discovered wasn't all the way down. It was just kind of right there. And they're like, yeah, I just don't know if this is it because the Bible says this and the pool is here. And something happened and a little water main broke down at the bottom of this little place in the city of David and it broke and they go to start fixing this water main and they're like, wait a minute, there's some steps here. And they start digging more and more and more and they find this unbelievable pool that has this connection right to the Keon Springs that would bring water into it, which would make you think, wait a minute, this absolutely lines up where you would think the pool of Siloam would be. That archaeology is not just saying, oh, maybe the Bible is true. They're using the Bible to actually uncover truth as just historical evidence. Friends, there's over, get ready for this, there is over 35,000 archaeological sites in Israel is they're looking at the Bible and looking at real things that the Bible is reliable because the unity in that the prophecy and the fact that we have archaeology that we could go stay in touch and see. I haven't even talked about outside sources or the strict code that scribes would use as they transcribe different things. Eyewitnesses accounts that that's too early for myths to develop. This thing called the Dead Sea Scrolls that would blow your mind, manuscripts of the Bible and how they are just so well attested to history. But here's the thing. Some of you are already so bored you've checked out because you're like, all right, so it's reliable. Stop and think about the importance of that statement. That this Bible, just in a few short minutes we talked about that we can actually trust it. that if this is from God who we talked about yesterday and it says things about him that we've got to trust and we don't get to pick and choose. Why? Because he is who he says he is. He's the highest authority and what he says goes. And this is our way to know him more. It's reliable. But here's the question that I wonder if some of you are asking, okay, so what? It's reliable, but is it relevant to my life? Does it play any kind of significance to me, or just do I just go to church and listen to someone read it? Like, why, why would I even think about the Bible? Like, it's an old book. I got a lot of old books. Is it relevant to my life, friends? And don't answer this. I just want you to process it yourself. Have you ever asked in your own mind, why am I here on earth? How should I live in the midst of this world that we are living in? Is there a God? Does God actually care about me? Is God un- in control of the circumstances happening? Does God actually see me in the midst of this chaos? Is it relevant? I mean, if you have any of these thoughts, and if you haven't thought these thoughts, I'm telling you, you're going to start to think one or two or all of them, or your friends are thinking them, and they're, they're asking the question of where? What's the point of life? What's the purpose? And instead of asking, does God see me? We go to God's word who says in Isaiah 43, thus says the Lord, I created you. He who formed you, fear not. For I have redeemed you, I've rescued you, I have called you by name and you are mine. I'm a pastor and I think that with being a pastor, people are like, well, of course you use the Bible every day. I I find myself, I do use the Bible every day. Not just because I'm a pastor, it's because I'm a Christian. And I have friends that ask me for advice a lot. Christians and non-Christians. I use the Bible every day as I talk and help people with marriages and talking about good things about marriage, talking about hard things about marriage. I use the Bible for that, talking about hardship they're going through in life, uh, whether to get a new job or not, which job to, ch- to, to, to take, uh, a change of a job, different financial issues that they might be going through, sickness that they're walking through, death of, them, of, of themselves that they're dying or their family members are dying or they just lost someone that they know. God's Word has comfort. It's the only thing that brings hope. Why? Because He is the God of hope, and it's His words to us. Why would I give my own opinion on certain things when I could go to the source that actually has the truth to offer? I'm done with opinions. I want to go to the source. Is it relevant? You see, the Bible's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a reminder how faithful and loving and powerful God is. It's our way to know him more. It's our roadmap to actually how to navigate life. It's a love letter to us. Why wouldn't you open it? He knows what's best for us. It's reliable, trustworthy, and it's very relevant to our life. So friends, especially Christ followers in the room, why aren't we reading it? My family, we went to Montana a few years back and we were doing a camp out there. And my daughter uh, you know, came across, they, they have these kitty cats that they actually let run on the property. It's really fun. So like these little kittens and uh, my daughter, she just wanted to be by the kittens all day long. She would just grab the kittens and just wake up, at you know, 6 a.m., run out and just be with the kittens and play with the kittens all day. And then, you know, they were hers. They, you know, she would just walk with them. I'm like, you gotta leave them outside. She's like, but they're my kittens. I'm like, leave them outside. And they're gross and they have fleas, right? And uh, if they were puppies, it'd be different, but it's kittens. Man, eh, they'll be fine, right? And uh, she would just have these kittens all day long, day after day. And halfway through the week, she goes and I'm tucking her in. I was like, All right, and, you know, I, like, I love you, good night. You know, and she's like, Daddy, I just close my eyes and all I see is kittens, right? And it's interesting that it dawned on me in that moment, right, that what we spend time with absolutely has an effect on our lives. She saw kittens in, when she'd close her eyes because she was spending so much time with kittens. Friends, as we think about what, we're spending time with, especially Christians in the room, do we know the effect that those things might be having on us? Again, I don't want you to answer. I just want you to take a little, a little pop quiz. You ready? Here it is. This one's going to hurt a little bit. How much time, again, I'm not asking for you to say it out loud. Is this you reflecting in your own mind? How much time do you spend on social media a day or a week? Stop. Stop. You're already talking way too much. It's a self-assessment. Shh. How much time are you on social media? How much time are you listening to music? How much time do you spend on video games? How much time watching Netflix or surfing the Internet? Stop and think about this. Stop. Shh. No more murmurs. How much time do you spend in God's word? Now, those things aren't bad things. They're not bad things at all. But if it's true that what we spend the most time with will ultimately have an effect on us, my fear is are we letting the wrong things in and affecting us and are we keeping the best thing out? Because a lot of those things, video games, social media, different kinds of music, is all screaming, do what you want, live for yourself, life is about you. And God's word is constantly getting you to look up, not about yourself, and say, in the beginning, it's been me. It's all about him. Life is all about him. Satisfaction is found in no one else but him. Last illustration, we're going to land this plane. There's a lot of people that used to have a Bible, like a physical Bible like this, and they would write things in their Bible, right? Have you seen that? You guys seen maybe your grandma might have one or grandpa or aunt or uncle. They have a Bible filled with notes, right? Have you seen these Bibles that... You know, they pick it up and like an entire couple of chapters just fall out on the ground, right? The pages are just falling out, right? It's a worn Bible. It's a, it's a used Bible. Here's a quote I want you to think about in light of that. You ready? A person whose Bible is falling apart usually reflects a life that is not person whose Bible is falling apart, which means they're using it a lot, they're reading a lot, they're ingesting it a lot. A person whose Bible is falling apart usually reflects a life that is not falling apart. Why? Because this Bible is truth. God's truth to us, his love language to us. It reminds us of who he is, a right view of God, and it reminds us to look up. It helps us gav- get, navigate life to remember who, who, whose we are and what life is truly about. And if we're into this as much as we should be, that our life actually starts to make sense. Psalm 119 says this, how sweet are your words to my taste? They're sweeter than honey on my lips. If God is who he says he is and the Bible is what he says it is, his his words to us, this book has massive implications in the way that we live. And we don't get to pick and choose. I like that, I don't like that. I like this, I don't agree with this. You don't get to choose it because this is his words to us. And if he is who he says he is, then he knows what's best. He is the highest authority. God does not lie and he gives us the ability to know him and to understand the truth of his word and the impact that it has in our life. It is reliable It is relevant. So, friends, may we read it and pray for us. And, Lord, we thank you for your truth, that you are truth. As we talked last night about a right biblical view of who you are, what your word says about you, it's because it's what you want us to know about you. John the Baptist anticipated you coming because it was in your word and he trusted your word and it happened because you never let us down. You are faithful because we see it throughout the Bible. God, may we understand that it is relevant and that it is, it is reliable that we can trust it. And God, may we have the desire to read it with your help. It's in your name we pray, amen.